Zoltan. Yes. If you could eat anything in the world right now, what would it be? Ah, oh, easy. Oysters from Pambula Lake. Great answer. What about you? Samesies. Just give me the oysters. Mm. Well, this episode was actually recorded just up the road from Pambula Lake on Ewan land in Pambula on the New South Wales far south coast. Mm. And I'd like to acknowledge the land itself and the Ewan ancestors as well as the present and future custodians of that land. We want to thank you deeply for having us. It's a place that's really special to both of us, isn't it? And it's actually where you proposed to me the day after this interview. Oh my God. Yeah, I did. I'm glad that the interview was so engaging um, that I didn't really have the chance to think about the next day too much. So um, I didn't get nervous and freak out. Well, I had no idea what you had cooking, but <laughs> what was cooking that day was Lorna Crane's orange cupcakes that she made us. They were so good. It's probably time you tell us a little bit about Lorna. Yeah. Lorna's pronouns are she, her, and she's been making art her whole life really and has been exhibiting it for around 40 years. And we recorded this whilst hanging out with her in her gorgeous home studio and we pretty much just get straight into the interview. There's just no time wasted. Yeah, and there's a language warning. And several stomach grumble warnings. (laughs) Which reminds me actually, um, our last guest Yo told me that you definitely shouldn't listen to this while you're hungry. (laughs) So if you haven't eaten yet, hit pause, grab a snack and come back and join us. And find out what Lorna Crane eats. I'm a mixed media artist and I've been exhibiting for 40 years. So been a practising artist all of that time and working in between. So, Mm. yeah, it's Mm. a pleasure to be here. Uh, We're so so thrilled. And this space is just extraordinary. So your studio will have lots of photos up um, for people to see, but it's just such a beautiful, calm, expansive space with so much light and all of your things are so beautifully organised. It's really inspiring yeah. to it's see that you've got really nice zones for things. Yeah. Um, that's really something I want to start to think about. Mm. For our well, with having to we take have. down the old studio and rebuild it again and, mm. and being without one for 18 months, it was really good sifting through like 40 years of mm. paintings, 67 years of photos. Wow. Yeah. And really considering what do I want, what will I give away? And it was really quite cathartic at the end, but more storage and... You can never have enough storage. Oh, my God, you can never have enough storage for an Especially art Especially in an art practice. Like I feel quite lucky because as a musician and a composer that works with computers and mm. equipment that is quite portable and quite small rather than someone who's a painter or a textile artist that just needs so much material and so organisation just has to be a huge part of it. <laughs> Yeah, I've got to think about what can fit into the back of my yep. car now mm-hmm. and as I'm getting older, what I can kind of transport around and lift yep. and carry as well. So yep. what you can lug yeah, around. It's, you know, you get more considered in mm. as you grow as an artist as well. Yeah, yeah. massively. And fibre. So fibres, I have noticed, are a big thing in this room. All sorts of incredible textures and woven things. So what... Is it about working with fibres that attracted you to that particular part of your practice, being mixed media but now really getting quite deeply into fibrous? Fibre actually has been a part of my work for a long time. Um, Even in my earlier paintings I would collage in a piece of jute or hessian Mm -hmm. or a bit of of cloth as well because for me cloth holds a memory. You know, it's uh, something that we're born 
you know, when we're first born, we get snuggled into a piece mm. of cloth and it comforts us and, and you know, it just, for me, I was always a fibre artist. It wasn't until I got to art school when I decided that I wanted to pursue textiles because my sisters could knit and so mm. and I couldn't and <laughs> because I'm such a stubborn little person, <laughs> I don't follow rules. So I found it really, really, really hard. I don't conform that way and going to art school after my mum died and then five years later my dad passed away as well but my dad took me to the first interview at the University of Wollongong and I'm one of five and he thinks that women should be you know, barefoot and pregnant in the, <laughs> the yeah. look after the children. And he was not happy with me going to art school, even though I always wanted to be an artist mm. and um, even though I was. And then I had to wait about, I think it was two months before I found out. Mm. And oh. I got into the associate diploma and he came over for dinner that night and I said, you've got to come over and celebrate, Dad. And before he walked in the door, he had to apologise to me because he said, I just want you to know that I want you to go and pursue this. So Mm. it was really, really incredible. So the fibre really, really came to the fore. Like after every exhibition, I would always do something. I'd always be stitching or making something and deconstructing old pieces of embroideries that were my grandmother's and my auntie Lorna's and my mother's and, you know, just trying to kind of find my own voice and, and my own way of doing it. And yeah, so, but it wasn't until the mid nineties that I was, I was in a studio at Anchor in Dixon and I had a beautiful space, Studio 13. And the whole of the artists there were invited to become part of an exhibition called Swanky Hankies. So that was where I thought I can come out of the closet of what I was doing with fibre and saw the most amazing exhibition called Fragile Objects by Mm. Elsa Van Keppel from Western Australia. And she was doing these repetitive stitches, but, Mm. but it was all landscape inspired and I just had like goosebumps all over me when I saw her work and and I've just been constantly doing fibre ever since. Still still kind of in the closet, yeah. but not because I was, you know, working as a painter and um and also working part time in a psychiatric institution and and raising having kids. To pay the, having to pay the rent and yeah. raising three children. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, so But then the fibre really came to the fore when I um, started making the brushes after I'd had a residency in Venice Mm -hmm. and I met up with another artist Mm. called Alison B. Cook and we challenged each other to Mm. make our own brushes. So then I researched it a lot more and the kind of the rest is history. So I became known as the brush maker. (laughs) Just quickly, if if you could explain this idea of making brushes and Mm. and what that entails because we came here and did a studio visit and I was just completely taken aback by the brushes that you have hanging on your wall, Mm. the first ones that you've made. 
Can you tell us a bit about the brush making process and what that is? Yeah, the, the brush making process, I wanted to be able to make really unique mark making tools. And so, you know, with making the first ones was, was with wrapping and binding. The first one was actually made from a piece of the red gorilla out here. Mm-hmm. And I just started wrapping and binding them and then, you know, I made about I made about twenty. Mm-hmm. and laid them all out and I thought, oh, they're too pretty to use. And <laughs> then I I then thought, oh, no, I'm going to use them. This is what it's all about. Yeah. And yeah. it was that very first brush that I dipped the ink into mm-hmm. my little bowl. It is just still used that original bowl. And it became a very much a ceremony of like holding the brush first, connecting mm-hmm. with the brush and getting the feel of how am I going to hold it, dipping it in. And then when the first marks went onto that page, it was like song lines. And mm. it was just so beautiful. Mm. And I just, I think I worked probably nonstop in the studio all day, just wow. getting all of these first marks. But it was the the genesis of me wanting to make my own brushes goes even back further. It was from art school days. And that came up in my conversation with Alison B. Cook from the, the person that did the challenge to me. And I said, you know, when I was at art school, there was a documentary on Arthur Boyd. Mm. And he was on the the banks of um, the Shoalhaven River at Riversdale. And here he is with Anna Glynn. Anna Glynn was his support person mixing up this paints and all of that sort of stuff. And here he is working on this huge, great big canvas. And he had his own handmade brushes that were a long handle and he would dip it into the paint and then just splash it on. God, that sounds so, so, such so a good process. It was just like, <laughs> wow, I want to do that. Yeah. And, yeah, so it was just, you know, that was always at the back of my mind that, you yeah. know, like a brush like that that's mm. handmade to suit the person, the mm. artist, is mm. is going to make something really quite different and after that, it, it's just been like teaching other people how to do it. Yeah. But it was more about me wanting to find my own visual language because yeah. quite a few years ago I was at a residency and one of the other artists there said that, you know, this particular artist was much more academic and I'm a very much that visceral kind of, you know, feeling kind yeah. of artist and, mm. you know, this artist kind of said, well, you've really got no visual language at all and you're not very disciplined, you know. I go Mm. out every morning and I draw and all of that and and I'm thinking, well, I actually like to sit in my landscape first and get the feel of it. I want to look and feel it and, you know, immerse myself into that place first. Mm. Connection and intuition and Yeah, and really connect to that time and place. So it's just kind of grown from there. Uh, It's a beautiful process. I mean, I tried it after meeting you and then talking about it. And and I kind of related it to cooking a little bit in my head as well, where yeah. you find these ingredients and you have a connection to them and then you go home and you're not sure what you're going to do. You just kind of see what it tells you to do. You, does it need to be sliced thick or thin or like cooked or fried? Or I was wondering, you know, for you, because you're so engaged in the materials that you use and where they come from. Do you have a similar relationship to food and cooking and things like that? Yeah, I love cooking. 
And I also relate it back to different places that I've been as well. So, um, yeah, for me, you know, like it's it's food is nourishment and also and art is nourishment for the soul. So, you know, that for me is the, you know, the biggest thing. And it's also remembering those special places that I've been as well. But, yeah, I'll, I might follow a recipe the first time but I always give it a twist of, you know, mm-hmm. like yeah. I want to put some of me in it. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. You know, it, it's just, you know, that that to me gives it so much more meaning. And when you're cooking a meal for a special occasion and, you know, with at Christmas time I love to decorate the table and, you know, just and also have traditions and create ri- yeah. rituals as well. You know, I like to bake my... Swiss cheesecake with an extra layer on top with passion fruit and um, flavoured chilli. And <laughs> at Christmas time, that's just perfect for Australia. Yes. So, yeah. You know, and I just learned from, you know, I'm an avid fan of watching some of the cooking shows. I've been watching them for years and I just pick up, oh, I could, I could do that. Yeah. And, and do I your could try twist. it this way and add mm-hmm. this and do that. So, yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I guess I then think about the idea of following recipes and that alchemy of starting something in the kitchen and then relating it back to your practice. Are you someone who will just be like, I need to just make now? Is it very immediate or are you going to do a lot of different sketches to sort of work out where you want to get to that end point? It's, yeah, yeah. the first one? Or? No, it's just like it's just like it's an itch that you've got to yeah. scratch. Yeah, you I know, thought that like might be the case. It, it, yeah. It's just like, like I'm, up, I'm, I'm much more... Plan. I'm planning a little bit more. I know what I want to do, and at the moment, and and I'm fairly ritualistic about how I come into the studio as well. I'm. I like to be able to open the windows and um, I sweep the floor. Beautiful. Um, mm. And it actually kind of like warms me up a little bit at the moment. Yeah. And to have a coffee. I put some music on. Mm. And look, look. Some days it can be really quite messy in here, but. A creative mess like that is good because you can, you know, pick off from where you've started from. Yeah. So, but at this stage, because I haven't been in the studio for so long, I just, it's just so lovely to walk back into me again. Can you tell us about your relationship to food growing up? What kind of things you were eating? Very Anglo Saxon. My dad came out from Durham. Uh-huh. In in 1921, I think it was, and lived through pandemics and wars and things like that. But and my mum was born here in a, in Australia, so so I've got a lot of lot of like Anglo-Saxon, like English and mm-hmm. an Australian mm. background, but very much the food was is very much comfort food like roasts mm. and you know meat pie like my mum would make homemade pies and be wow. a pie cooking day or pasty yeah. Oh. and yeah were they big sort of family size pies you know like the, the huge ones that are size of dinner plates or were they individual little ones that you no all big ate? ones because yeah. I was one of five yeah yeah so right. yeah so mm. um, my brother's fourteen years older than me and another brother twelve years older and a sister eight years older than mm. me and eight years later. I was born yeah. and then um, my younger sister was born after that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we lived in a tiny little three-bedroom house in Wollongong. Mm-hmm. Saturday lunch was always the roast dinner and mm. in wintertime it was pea and ham soup and, you know, like oh, lots, you know, lots and lots and lots of soups we would have. And 
yeah, I didn't like black pudding or any of those sorts of things and tripe and I was not a very good eater as a child. I was terrible as a child. So, you know, I just grew up on Vegemite sandwiches and yeah, mashed potato or I was bad. I didn't eat my first baked dinner until I was 12. But that's understandable, especially if you've got like older siblings and stuff and it's the chaos around having that many kids and yeah. it's full on. When did it start to become something that was a more playful, adventurous experience for you, eating? I, I think it was in my teens, mm. you know, when I started to explore. You know, the family would always say, oh, you know, you're going to grow to like a lot of these things and the only thing that I couldn't stomach and would, it still makes me sick today is eating seafood. So I've got a yeah. seafood allergy, yeah. not yeah. anaphylactic, but just even the smell of it will make me oh. nauseous. So mm. living here is a tricky place to in live. In this coastal area <laughs> is really, really tricky. So I've learned to cook now and, and because mum did all of the cooking, mm. I did learn how to make the best homemade gravy though Ooh. of her. So mm. in that old fashioned way. Mm-hmm. So is there a secret? Oh, like it's all in the secret? smell. Oh. Using your sense of smell. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I yeah, the smell for me is is like I've got a very strong sense of smell so you know that was the the biggest thing and I, that was always my job to make the mashed potato because I would make the smoothest mashed potato that so. is a skill oh, in yeah. itself and and the, and the trick <laughs> is with me is to put the the butter and a little bit of salt no I don't use I don't use salt in the cooking I only ever add it at the end but I use ground white pepper mm-hmm. Oh. I love mm. the ground white pe- pepper, but mm-hmm. uh, that could mm-hmm. be just that childhood memory That's that great. I just wow. adore. And yeah. sticking with your childhood, do you have a memory of when you started to become interested in art? Yes. My my parents, to keep me quiet, the only thing that <laughs> would keep me quiet was if when we went shopping, mm-hmm. she would buy me a packet of colouring in pencils Lovely. and wow. that was probably about three or four. They just knew that I was different from the rest mm, of the family. Mm. So they would always just set me up. Even in the middle of winter, they would set up a table in front of the lounge, give me paper and paints or, you know, I'd do my projects there. But when I was about, I think it was about seven or eight, I uh, entered into a colouring in competition and I won a prize. Yeah. And so from that moment on, I knew yeah. that that was my destiny. Oh. Like I always wanted to be, I knew, I knew that I was yeah. an artist. So, wow. yeah, it was, it's just a knowing thing from childhood and mm. it's just so lovely to be able to know that I followed those instincts and the passions mm. and, you know, this is who I am. Yeah, And I guess... You know, reflecting now, the the brush making and the mark making now validates my journey as an artist and sharing Mm. it for me is just a really powerful tool. And so that, I'm just thinking of the journey because you have had such an incredible journey up to this point, which is going to keep being incredible, especially as the world opens up and you're going to be able to travel again. Yeah, can't wait. Um, But so from that early packet of pencils and winning a prize moment up until now. Is there a way to take us through your career so far? Um, I failed out at high school because I met my hus- my first husband three months beforehand and, you know, 
I had to get a real job because I didn't get into art school. Dad wouldn't wouldn't let me. Mum said, well, you didn't Mm. get in. So you've got to do something else. So I became a map maker. I I was forced to go to study doing um, land and engineering survey drafting. I really didn't like it. There were benefits with it at different times because I had to learn how to use calligraphy brushes and things like that. Mm. And But I was more excited about getting the ink to work on the edge of the drafting table. And then I married and had the children and then I realised that I don't want to be defined by me being just a mother. I wanted to be a role model for my children. Mm. And my brother-in-law was killed in a car accident Mm. and that was a big, big, big turning point and I suddenly realised that I need to invest in in myself and believe in myself. So I decided to do part-time studies, you know, once a week at the local TAFE and that gave me a really good grounding of working with materials and, you know, and, and there was one teacher there that she was an abstractionist and she was gave me a lot of support because mm. she said, oh, turn it around, turn it upside down, do it okay. this way, look mm. at it from all different angles. And that just spoke to me so much. It was yeah. just so interesting and I just loved it. And so I continued doing that for a couple of years and then that was able to give me the portfolio when the associate diploma came up in the early 80s, 82. From there, I did five years of study, painting major, printmaking as a secondary and textiles that Mm -hmm. I ended up graduating with distinction at the end, which was (laughs) so cool. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, so it was like, you know, that 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 was pretty amazing. It was hard work because in between that my dad died, so I was caring for him on top of it all. And then in my final year, my husband was diagnosed with a massive tumour. He had bone cancer. So I also had to look after him as well. So that was incredible. Mm. So 12 months after art school, he'd, he'd... kind of recovered and he decided that we would like he would like to go on a teacher exchange so we went to Canada. Aha, this is how you ended up in Canada. So Interesting. Wow. Canada was fantastic. I really didn't want to go because I wanted to be able to get a dip in. I wanted yeah. to be a teacher. So my biggest dream as a child was to become a, an art teacher. So I was really kicking and screaming. I didn't really want to go mm. and it was going to be hard work and so I got to Canada in the Niagara Peninsula and I decided that I was just going to be brave and bold and I went off to all of these different places and I went to a Hamilton Artist Inc. in Ontario where we're not far from where I lived, um, only about an hour away from um, Toronto and helped organise the first international art exchange wow. between Art Arena Gallery in Wollongong and the Hamilton Artists Inc. So we had an exhibition in Canada followed by an exhibition in Wollongong. So I've been involved with artists run spaces for a long, a long time and exhibited in a local gallery, in a regional gallery there with bold um, bravado. I turned up one day with my portfolio and met the, the director there and I, she said, look, you know, we a lot of things in advance, 18-month waiting list. Three months later, I get a phone call saying, oh, "Great, you know, have you got a body of work? 
And she said the other artist was going to have the full gallery, but she could only do half of the space. So mm. I was able to get a, an exhibition in a regional gallery mm. in Canada. So mm. not- it was just you being like, all right, I see what I want to do and you're just going to. On your own steam. It's incredible. Yeah, it was really, 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 really good. And it taught me that, you know, you shouldn't be fearful about asking somebody that question or Mm. would you be interested, can I show you my work? And if you kind of talk with passion, that's kind of really, really good. So we came back from Canada and Itchy Feet again and Mm -hmm. we decided that we loved the climate having four seasons. So Mm. I was was all set ready to go back and do the dip ed again, but Mm -hmm. no. (laughs) <laughs> that didn't happen. We went to Canberra and I thought, oh, this is great. I can do it there. But too many artists trained people there. You can't do it. So I went back to drafting again. Mm. And right next door to where I was drafting was the Churchill Trust. So I always rem- remember my mum and dad talking about Winston Churchill because, you know, they're big royalists. And Can you, you explain know, more about what that is just for anyone who doesn't know what that, that the is? The Churchill Sorry. Trust can offer scholarships for any people that have got a passion to be able to learn from people from overseas or anywhere in the world Mm -hmm. and also to bring back what they've learned and put it into practice in in Australia. Mm. So in my earlier years, I always remember saying, oh, you know, a Churchill Fellowship is amazing and and I fronted up and talked to the director there then Mm. and her offsider and I told them about, you know, my passion to be able to to go over, you know, overseas to be able to explore the potential of art and mental health. Mm-hmm. And um, and they said, oh, you know, you've really got to extend it a little bit more. You've got to do a lot more research into who you want to go to and yeah. what you need to, to do to apply. So that was kind of bubbling in the background. I really was sick of drafting. So yeah. I took time out from that, had time off from work and I applied to work at a little place called Chartwell Crafts and Chartwell was the place where Winston Churchill lived Uh and the person that it was named after was Lola DeMar who was a Churchill Fellow so all of these kind of like these little little steps were kind of happening and you know, I worked with a group of um, young adults with mild intellectual disabilities and I worked with another artist, Danny Trevelyan, and myself were the first people that started it. And we were we were extending on what Lola DeMar was doing with making tapestries and, mm. um, and but we wanted to extend it a little bit more by getting them to do their own wood blocks and screen prints. So, mm. and that worked really well. But again, after two years, funding stopped and then I applied for a job with a psychiatric mm-hmm. institution mm-hmm. and that was the most amazing experience and that was when I suddenly realised that this could be where I could do a... That threads you back to that, church. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, following that thread. Yeah. Three times later I refined it mm-hmm. even more and, mm-hmm. you know, giving papers in mental health conferences in Melbourne wow. and in uh, New Zealand but it wasn't until two weeks before I put the application in that they said, you haven't applied again this year, Lorna. And, and I, they rang me at work and I'm thinking, why are they ringing me <laughs> <laughs> And they said, you've got two weeks to put an application in. So and they funny. said, why haven't, you, why haven't you done it? And I said, I fell in love. I divorced and I fell in love. <laughs> so, yeah, so, 
you know, yeah. three Love or four can be distracting. This is yeah, a me. bit of a theme here. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it was just amazing. And I became mm. the Sir William Keyes Churchill Fellow. And you know, arts is great for anybody's mental health. Yeah. And it can spread from all ages as well. Yeah. And, you know, art should be available for everybody and it was just amazing. So I was exhibiting every single year, so been involved with a lot of lot of different spaces. But it was then deciding I can't work, I'm burnt out after yeah. the, the Churchill Fellowship yeah. and um, I just thought, you know what, I'm an ocean girl. I want to come back to the, I want to come back yeah. to the coast. So and then this was John's and my you know, beautiful escape and mm. I just love, I love living here and yeah. being in such a pristine environment and with the most amazing scenery and just to be able to immerse yourself. You can just drive a couple of kilometres and you can be in bush and you can just yeah. be by yourself and picking up sticks and feathers and, yeah, all sorts of things like that. It's just been a, an amazing journey, so yeah. full of richness, lots of forks in the roads, and but it's it's been forty years, yeah, and I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> and and with this new studio, it's like this jumping off point to have your space the way that you want it, and to you know, the, oh yeah, the next forty years is going to be very, very, very cool. Yeah, I just want to have this time now where I can you know, just explore what I want to do mm-hmm. and with that passion and, yeah. you know, nourish my soul again like Absolutely. eating a good meal. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, and it we, is likened to that, you yeah. know, like it is, you know, that feeling of working felt. in the studio all day and just feeling like, oh, that was so, so good. Mm. and mm. So nourishing and yeah. so, yeah. yeah, it just fills you up. We're on to our little nibbles snack section. These are very short answers. Very quick fire. Questions. Yeah, cool. Yep. So, who's your favourite cook? There are two. Great. Yeah, I like Marco Pierre because mm. when I watched him on MasterChef one year, I learned how to make the most divine um, lemon risotto. Mm. I now do many different variations of that. Mm-hmm using chorizo and mushrooms. And Perfect. the other one that I really, really love is Maggie Beer. Love I Maggie love Beer. Maggie. And I follow her roast chicken recipe as mm-hmm. well, where mm-hmm. I mix the butter and the lemon zest and some garlic and I place my fingers underneath the skin and put it in between yes. there. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. prick holes into the lemon and... Just, yeah. And then let it rest upside down so that the breast is sitting down. It's so juicy. Yeah, they're yeah. my two kind of favourites that I just love. Great selection. And who's your favourite artist? Oh, there are so many. I know. I feel really cruel asking this question. I know. I know. <laughs> Look, as a, as a painter, mm. I really, really admire Elizabeth Cummings mm-hmm. because she's that late career artist that... Yeah that is just still working to this yeah. day. I love I love the way she works. And then as a fibre artist, I've always been inspired by Sheila Hicks, a, an mm-hmm. American artist mm-hmm. that does these really big installations and she, she was wrapping and binding and I, I'd love to be able to work as big as and yeah. bold as that 
Amazing. So what is your ratio of Vegemite to butter? Because this is a big question I like to ask people just out in the world. More butter and less me Vegemite. Me too. I don't like it. John made me one the other day and he put so much Vegemite on and I just thought, oh, my gosh, you've just taken, yeah. you know, like one month's worth of Vegemite. <laughs> yeah, a kilo of Vegemite yeah. doesn't help. So I just like a smearing of it yep. and, yeah. Delicious. Actually, oh, recommendations for around here. Where's the best bread? Uh, wild rye. Wild rye. Yeah. Wild rye. When you're in the kitchen cooking or making coffee or something, what's your favourite kitchen sound? Oh, I love the sound <laughs> of, of that, um, that first coffee in the morning when I'm making mm, my coffee and it's yeah. the century thing of, you know, it's the sound and it's also the whoosh of the steamer and, the, yeah. and I'm, that's my morning ritual. I love yeah. that. And what's your favourite kitchen smell? goes back to my mum's gravy making mm. and knowing that mm. the smell of the the smell of when something's just right you know yeah. like just before a meal is cooked and knowing when the timing's right oh yeah mm. that's a beautiful way to think about it yeah mm. what's the latest thing you've learned to cook i think it's been more the a more spicy the more spicy food and the saucy spice company here in yes, Pambula really is just good. fantastic. We will and share links to those too. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And I just love all of those fresh flavors. And yeah. So, and I also inspired by a, bit, a little bit more like Mexican food. And yeah. I've got to actually make my chicken mole again as well mm. with adding the chocolate mm. into the, mm. yeah, that's another one. The best Mex- the, um, Mexican inspired food that I had was in Montreal when we were doing the fellowship and it was after spending six weeks in the US when our dollar was only 56 cents Whoa. Mm. and then getting up to Montreal and having what beautiful fresh flavours and fresh vegetables that would crunch and yeah. rather than just fries on the side. God. It was just, yeah, so. Well, that's a, that's a story that sort of relates really nicely onto the next topic, which is all around supporting yourself as an artist, the importance of eating well, oftentimes on a budget because it's just the realities of the lifestyle sometimes, the fluctuating Mm. money that comes in. Can you talk a little bit about the role of food in that time of you establishing yourself as an artist? Well, especially down here because, like, when we moved down here, we were just living on on John's veterans' pension. Mm. Um, It was really, like... Not very much at mm. all. It's never so, enough. And I'm still doing it today where I will make a great big pot of spaghetti sauce and I make a two kilo, you know, two kilo pot and decant it into small containers. Yeah. I make a base sauce that I can, you know, add extra flavours to if I want. So, nice. you know, like last night it was like one of the tiny little 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 containers that I could add some extra mushrooms and vegetables or a bit more extra passata and so that's a stock thing that I always always have in the the fridge and when I say starving artist that term how do you feel in your in your body or how do things kind of zip around up into your brain when I say starving artist that term I guess there's ways that you can be starving as well. I mean, you're yeah. starving for acknowledgement or you're starving to be able to buy your materials or, you know, yeah. you can't, you haven't got enough fuel to 
to get to a place. So that's the most that's the most you know frustrating part of it. Yeah. It's not. You've just got to live the journey and be honest to yourself, be true to yourself. And uh, mm. if it's your passion, you've just got to follow your passion. And if you just be mindful of how you can save, yeah. like mm. a lot of people say, oh, you know, how did you do it? And I mm-hmm. said, well, I made compromises and yeah. Yeah. I just saved a lot. And going to Venice the first time, I was so lucky that my my son ended up um, ringing me and saying, Mum, Emma and I have decided that we're going to support your arts career. Mm-hmm. We really believe in you. That's and so they beautiful. gifted me the return flight to yeah. Venice that time, yeah. the first time. So, But I guess that came from you over the many, many years before then, mm. investing in yourself far, far before then. And it's amazing what can come from that self-worth What's moment happening? where you say... I'm going to do this. And then eventually the people around you also start to see your passion and and believe in you. It's also being a role model. Like I wanted Mm. to be a role model for my children and a role model for my daughter that she could actually stand up for herself as well and to Mm. be who she Mm. is today. And also just I'm a real believer in mentoring younger artists as well. I I like supporting, Mm. you know, supporting other artists and sharing their journey. And, you know, it is a long journey and there are Mm. forks in the road. Yeah. Do you have any ideas about how artists could be better supported in a more specific way after everything that you've experienced up to this point? That's a big question. (laughs) It's a a big, 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 big question. I think like like if they want to get involved in any of the arts is to join a community art yeah. space, to, you know, get involved with community yeah. arts and to follow your favourite artists. Don't be afraid to approach them and ask them questions. And, mm. like, I've just been amazed with you know, some aspects of my life where I I never thought that they would say yes and, mm. you know, they gave huge support. So mm. that was how I got the Berlin residency was to, you know, my mentor um, said you can have my studio for the wow. two weeks and mm. that was probably the biggest turning point was mm-hmm. me at 55 mm-hmm. investing in my dream of seeing some of the, my favourite artists are some of the German artists. So yeah. Yeah. it was, yeah, to be there at the base of the Brandenburg Gate on the Day of Unity mm. on the 3rd of October 2009 uh, was just incredible. Mm. So, yeah, things can happen if you work hard at it and just keep following the path. Yeah. yeah. And community. Community, really, yeah. Really special yeah. and very important. And yeah. just do it. Just do the work, you know, just even if it's just a little bit every day and mm. Like I've worked three jobs at one stage while I was yeah. I was I mm. was at art school, so it was. Yeah. It's a struggle. <laughs> Absolutely, but but it's it's always changing, right? Yeah. You know, you yeah. you might have to really bunker down and do those things and and work mm. the jobs to support your practice, but the mm. practice never goes away. No, yeah. but things change and weave in and out of that. Different iterations of it at different points and yeah. What I find now is that I've got a I've got more of a hunger to learn now than mm. I've ever mm. had before. It's just 
you know, I'm learning from the, the students in the courses and, you know, just Googling different people. Like it's just fantastic now <laughs> to be able to watch. I've just been watching uh, Philada Barlow in, yep. um, you know, some of her interviews and there is so much availability now to explore and develop as an artist as well. Mm. And as someone who's received funding and has like done all of those different, gone down those different paths of um, applying for grants and residencies and stuff. Do you have any tips for people who are either starting out or have shot for the grant and then been knocked back and then tried again and stuff? Is there any tangible thing that you found that was really useful in terms of applying for funding? I think that if you could, with the the local community arts officers, they yeah. do a lot of programs now on teaching you how to write an artist statement and applying mm. for grants. Um, it's also, you know, also to to invest in maybe entering some prizes as well yeah. because that gives mm. you that that prestige as well and mm. to build up a decent CV yeah. and to don't be afraid of doing your own residency. Yeah. You know, like sometimes... I found with some residencies, once I get there, it changes. You know, what you want to do changes and then you've got to commit to what you proposed. Artist residencies that I've self-funded have been much better because I can let whatever happens flow out of me without too many concerns. So, you know, that's why I love the Bundan on one as well because they gave you the freedom, you know, to just experiment and explore and I love that. Some other funded ones have been okay, but I still prefer to just know that I want to invest in my own, yeah, you know, own the way I want to yeah. do. And, and you know, important. and even my mentor, you know, I thought that uh, I thought that he'd had a travelling art scholarship, but he just said no. I didn't want to do my masters. I just wanted to live my masters. Mm-hmm. And I yep. think that everybody has mm. got to kind of like consider things like that. Yeah. And I just believe that I have been living my masters since I left mm-hmm. art school, and I think it's been a really valuable thing to to do that. And to take yourself away, even if you just go out and do a little residency nearby or mm-hmm. just go with a, another friend that you trust. Mm. I think one of the, the best residencies that I did with a group of people was with Helena Jackson Lloyd and Donna Malone in Broody Island where we mm. where we had a Beautiful. 20 days on the island. We had different duties that we yeah. decided on right from the very beginning. The girls would go out doing a lot of plain air work and I worked on the back veranda overlooking the beautiful Dens Point or mm. Bull Bay yeah. and um, we had the most amazing time. It was just just incredible mm. and every every evening we would lay out the work that we would make that day mm. and wow. then after dinner we would then with our glass of wine love this sit down and we would critique each other's work yeah. and it's a lot of trust that's a it was the discipline inc- and the just to get everything happening and then also to then after a full day's work to be able to sit and critique each other's work. It's a lot of trust yeah. that you guys must have yeah. built. So I've been, from that time, I've, I've been writing a lot more poetry and a lot of people refer to my work as being poetic and lyrical and, you know, I love to be able to create a narrative mm. when I, you know, when I speak about the work now. I was asked to, to make a book and it was a collaborative book. 
And I knew that this person, Glennis Mann, was, she was kind of somebody that I was really inspired by. She was head of, head of Fibre Arts Australia mm. as well. And um, it was all about time and place. So mm. I wanted to hark back to the place that made my heart sing. And that mm. was Central Australia when I did a residency in Alice Springs for one month with Billy Benn a famous Indigenous artist, Mm -hmm. and he spoke to me about drawing in the sand and talking about his journey as an artist. And we went up, did part of the Larapinta Trail, and Mm. he then showed me his cathedral, which was Simpson's Gap. Mm. And that particular place is very dear to me in my heart because when you're alone in the Australian landscape and you just sit amongst, you know, sit in the land you just, things just bubble to the surface. So I wrote this poem called Sky and Earth. When the sky meets the earth in this ancient land, there becomes an otherness at the edge of dawn. With a shimmering horizon, there is stillness that calms the soul. Breathe in, breathe out. Those places that resonate with a subliminal force from deep within, delivers the gift of clarity. Mm. Oh. It sort of transported me to that time and place. Yeah, it was really, really special. I'd love to go back there again. But yeah. I do in different ways. You know, it's like you go yeah. there and, you know, I love it when you wear the, you know, the sky and the earth. And mm. I missed when I was in Canada not mm. seeing the ocean. Yes. You know, and the sound of birds. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. the bird song here in Australia is just, mm. we take it for granted until we. I've we, been really impacted by it here oh, on the South Coast. Yeah. It's been very, very inspiring. I've made work around that already and it's been wonderful. The idea of not being able to travel during the pandemic and have these new experiences and not being able to really connect face-to-face has, I'm sure, been a really disruptive and quite a sad time for you who, who travels and connects with other artists so much. Yeah, just even living here, it's really kind of hard. There's not that many people that kind of speak the same language that I do. There's mm-hmm. a couple that do, which is mm-hmm. great, yeah. but... Being not being able to see them face to face is mm-hmm, hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, having to do Zoom is good, but it's not not it's quite the same. same. Yeah. But I felt like I was like an artist in residence. It was nice to be able to be a bit reclusive, and you know, and I had a big project that I was working on, even though I wasn't in my studio. I was working on the kitchen table again. Mm. I still love kitchen tables. I love it. Yeah, I do love a kitchen table. <laughs> and um, it, it was a hard time. It was a hard time, but I think that I did a lot of soul searching, mm. and I think that it's made me a better, you know, a better artist. And yeah. you know, I know who I am now, <laughs> much stronger than what I was before. Yeah. And it was a bit scary going back out into the community again. Yes. And I hear yes. you. Yeah. I think that's been a quite a absolutely here. Yeah, that's yeah, been, that's been a shared experience, definitely. And you know, during lockdowns uh another shared experience i think was the amount of people that really got into cooking Mm -hmm. and really got into you know baking and and just like really connecting back into into food did lockdowns and the pandemic impact your relationship at all with food 
Oh, that's when I started making the those orange cupcakes. zest cupcakes. Oh, yeah. Bloody hell, those cupcakes. <laughs> <laughs> They're so good. Yeah. But, yeah, we put on a lot of weight yeah. because we were, yeah. you know, eating more and, mm-hmm. you know, again, the comfort food came out mm-hmm. and the, yeah, drinking more, having a few, yeah. a, an yeah. extra oh, couple of glasses. Wines on a wine. Wednesday night just because you could. Yeah, yeah. just because you could. Pasta and two Pasta. bottles of wine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we did it. several nights a week. Time for some nibbles. It is time okay, for some more nibbles, nibbles again. More, more quick mm-hmm. fire questions. What's your favourite utensil or gadget in the kitchen? I think the whisk. Ooh. I love my whisk because I like making, there's a special way I like to make my scrambled eggs as well. So, um, yeah. yeah. Can you share a kitchen disaster story or a funny story from a cooking experience? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I put... I put I didn't realise that I was putting some chilies into my spaghetti sauce, but they were ghost chilies. Oh. And I put 12 in because oh. I knew John liked them really hot. Didn't know he liked them that hot. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, yeah, and then my son said, Mum, they were ghost chilies I gave you. So that was really, really bad. But John's so, still talking to you, so it's all right. Yeah, I didn't, like, I didn't eat chilli then for probably... About eight months, I was too scared to. You probably didn't need to. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, probably still numb. Yeah, that was that was that was pretty bad. What is your kitchen's superpower? If it's maybe, yeah, I mean, I already know that the cupcakes are a thing. Mm-hmm. And but besides mashed potato, potato yeah. besides mashed, mashed potato gravy and those cupcakes, and not sauce with ghost chilies in it. What's your kitchen superpower? <laughs> I think I just like to command the kitchen. Yep, yep. <laughs> I don't like anybody being in my way while yes. I'm cooking. Mm. And it, it's not a big kitchen, but it it's mm. just easy to work in. So, yeah. And I've, I've got a gas stove. I like cooking with the mm. control of the flame. Yes. So yep. that's a really, really, really big thing for me as well. Definitely. What's a special ingredient or, or food that you'll go out of your way for or pay a little bit extra for as a as a treat? If I can't have my coriander, like I, I really I went to three different places the other day until I found some in um, Pambula local oh, groceries. The fruit market. The fruit market. We went and there a great last night. Really mm-hmm. fresh ones. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was really really good. I love that place. Yeah. yeah, that was great. Yeah, and a really nice cheese. And a really yeah. nice cheese, that's the other thing as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, I love this question. If you could recreate any existing artwork in the whole world out of food, what would it be? Lasagna. If you have Uh-oh. a look at my big book over there, yeah. oh. it actually looks like oh, lasagna. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Incredible. All that's right, we'll a get big, a photo of this. This is yeah. beautiful. layered lasagna. Yeah. yeah. So you would make a book cheeks. that looks like lasagna. Yeah. I love that. That is glorious. Yeah. Lasagna book. Yes. Lasagna book. That was perfect. <laughs> so Except great. that I don't think I could make it with the 190 pages like I did that one though. But I'd eat that 190 yeah. pasta sheets. Yeah. That's a challenge. Yeah. One day we'll recreate it. Yeah, we can we'll do eat that. it. We'll bring it over and we'll eat it here. And you can do the bechamel sauce though. Yeah. <laughs> with the whisk. <laughs> So we're up to third course now. So. This one is all about the recipe that you have chosen to share with us mm-hmm. and what it is. So can you tell us about yeah. the recipe? It's um, a Malaga tawny soup 
And it's a really simple recipe, but so flavoursome, especially because mm. it's kind of broth-like as mm. well. And it's made with chicken thigh fillets coated in flour and mm. Keen's curry powder, mm-hmm. as well as turmeric made with chicken broth and um, added with basmati rice mm. and a little bit of onion as well and garlic. I put in extras as well. So, uh, um, but and it's topped with soft boiled eggs cut in half with Greek style yogurt and then mm. sprinkled with coriander. Yeah. And it is just a delight to eat. I only make it a couple of times a year and it's a special kind of one that I make. There's things that I kind of do at different, you know, it's now this time of year I'm going to make that, you know, that particular mm. recipe. So. so it's important to have it in this this particular season. Season, yeah. 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 And who did you last cook it for? I cooked it for John the other night. But I put he we had two we had two eggs, so it ended up being two halves on it to, to make it a good because sometimes when he has soup he feels like he needs to have extras. Need so, more. Yeah. yeah. So with having the extra extra egg on the top, it was really good. And that was with no bread, it was just the soup and that was just yummy. I just heard his stomach grumble when you said yeah, egg, which is like, very interesting because eggs aren't your favourite thing, but your stomach just went My Whoa. stomach's just, it started grumbling now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very So All this talk about food. food. Are there any specific rules or tips that you could give someone if, if they were going to find this recipe and try and make it themselves? Yeah. Look, just follow the recipe and, mm. you know, you can adapt it to what you like. You can mm-hmm. put other things on top or add extra extra meat if you don't eat eggs or yeah. just have the, you know, Not you eggs. can have sour cream or uh, the, oh, the, the big ingredient is the lemon zest and the lemon juice at the mm-hmm. end. Yep. So, mm. you know, that gives it this really beautiful you know, just a beautiful flavour. Mm. So if anything, uh, just don't com- compromise yeah, on the lemon. Exactly. So, yeah, it's it's yummy. Mm. And is it the citrus that you love most about the flavours? I think I've always yeah. loved any citrus flavour, yeah. you know, like I've always loved anything with like an orange, or, or like a low orange cake as yeah, well or same, orange yeah. syrup and, mm-hmm. you know, like marmalade as well. But those tarty kind of flavours mm. I think are just so really, really good. And yeah. It's kind mm. of like that lovely balance that you can get when you're cooking as well. It, yeah. I'll just put extra bit of zest into that. And yeah. Yeah, it's yum. This sounds like a really nourishing like one pot kind of dish where you'd make it and you'd just serve it as the star of the show. But mm. is there anything that you would serve with it on the side? Uh, probably some garlic bread if you wanted to. Yeah. But, but you could probably even put some noodles, you know, vermicelli or do, you know, like all of, you could really play around with it yeah. and make it into a, you know, a really beautiful, you know, nourish bowl. Yeah. So there are different ways that you could, instead of coriander, you could put snow pea shoots or a lot of people don't mm. like coriander. I could yeah. just eat it every day. Me too. You've talked a lot about how much your residencies and your travels mm. have impacted you and you've been to some iconic food cities. Where's your favourite place in the world to eat? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know, it's very cruel of us to yeah. ask just one. But <laughs> I think having, having a pizza by myself mm-hmm. in Venice, mm-hmm. looking at the Rialto mm-hmm. Bridge, 
with a glass of beer. Beer, <laughs> It was nice. beer at that stage. Yep. And uh, it was in the middle of the day and just soaking in, you know, a dream that I'd always had was to go to Venice and, you know, to live that dream and to be eating, you know, that fresh food there. And that was an amazing memory. Mm. And, you know, sharing it on Fundamenta Nova as well, you know, where the vaporettos come. Mm. Yeah, that was, yeah, incredible. <laughs> Where in this region do you love to eat? Is there anywhere around here that it's just like a go-to spot for you? Uh, very difficult for me here because of so it's many just seafood a, it's places. It's seafood central here. So, I'm, yeah. yeah. I love going to Ritzy's mm-hmm. Wine Tapas Bar because mm-hmm. I love their margaritas. Mm-hmm. And the service is always fantastic. The one that I would really recommend is Banksia. Okay, great. In Pambula. Pambula. Yep. That's with Hugh and Renee and it's mm. it's more fine dining and yeah. I really like it. My daughter has just come down and had dinner at Valentina's as well. Mm. Sorry, his stomach just went again. <laughs> I don't know if people will be able to hear this. Oh, man. <laughs> and then the other one is yeah, um, I like beautiful. I really like going out to Tathra Hotel and right. there's a, they've got like a little microbrewery there as well. So oh, yeah. you, it's really beautiful, really Great that's pub food, there. but mm. yeah, yeah, right, uh, that's and the view and also Long Stocking and yes. Oakland's Long Stocking is really good for their their pizzas as well. So, Ooh, very good. Um, and they have baby donkeys. Someone told me there's baby donkeys there. Yeah, okay. Yeah, they've got a little farm there. We as must well. go there. Oh, I need to go. see these baby animals. Yeah, mm. amazing. And as we wind up, we want to know what you're working on at the moment. I'm just working on a lot of experimentation, doing a lot on jelly plates and Mm. working on a series of um, vessel images as well. And again, the vessel shapes are echoing my nourishment of being back in the studio again, nurturing Mm -hmm. my soul and... um, yeah, and yeah, making making books and making larger vessels with paper mache and mm. other interesting materials. Yeah. So, being in the studio making again and just working on the course and the big course so, and the, and course, the course, which will put all the Fantastic. info of the course. Yeah, um, yeah. so people can mm. can jump on board. <laughs> yeah. So before we ask the last question, we just wanted to thank you so much yeah. for mm-hmm. this has your just been the best generous time. Your incredible stories and I think a big takeaway for us and for anyone listening is to really listen to that voice that tells you that you want to live a creative life you have Mm. something to say you have Mm. something to to do that is creative as hard as it might be sometimes to follow that instinct but really listen to that voice and and go for it and invest in yourself and eventually others will invest in you and things might change along the way and things might get tough but as long as you stay true to your creative practice it will be true to yourself and Mm. to also break a few rules along the way you know don't be scared about you know like coloring in outside the lines Mm -hmm. you know like Mm -hmm. that's the big one you know don't be afraid to Deconstruct and reconstruct say yourself. Deconstruct. That's mm-hmm. something deconstruct I've and found. reconstruct yeah. yourself. You're forever doing that and mm-hmm. it becomes a magical journey. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've been on a magical journey here. So oh, thank it's you. It's been for such a wonderful having us in your beautiful slice of studio. time. It's 
been Thank a delight you. meeting you too. Aww, I just, yeah. We adore you. It's so I, great. This is like food for my soul, you know, like Same just to be us. able to have yep. these conversations because I don't get them mm. that often mm. and it's just lovely to be able to share those experiences as well. Yeah. So thank you for oh, considering oh, me to you. be part of the podcast. And We're so delighted. It's been such fun. Wow. Well, we can't wait to eat. My stomach for the last 15 minutes has been just yeah, going yeah. off. We're about to feed you. We're so going to we'll feed you now. Yeah. Thank cool. you once again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us to find out what Lorna Crane eats. If you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed making this, head to our website www.whatartistseat.com to find Lorna's recipe and all the information about her work. And if you really, really liked it, maybe you could leave a rating and a review and that would make us very happy. And it also helps other people to find the show. We will see you in a fortnight. See you in a fortnight. Bye.